It's good to see y'all here today. This will more than likely be my technical director, Mackenzie's last Sunday. And uh, that doesn't mean this is going to be the end of our podcast. It just means that my wife will be moving into that role and taking over. And uh, we're going to uh, continue on uh, with this podcast. I have to thank her for coming up with the idea because I've never been smart enough to, to make it happen. She's technically savvy enough to where she can make things like this happy and, or happen. And, and uh, I'm, I'm real glad. I, I, I was proud that, that we could carry on even though we, we were shut down. And uh, we will continue on. We've had a lot of feedback about the podcast, and it's doing a lot of good. And there's probably more and more people tuning in all the time and that we don't know about. But anyway, we thank her for her efforts, and, and we wish her the best in her college uh, endeavors. And, and my wife will take over and will carry on. If you have your Bible today or your, your, uh, your, your device, be turning to the 51st Psalm. The 51st Psalm. This is going to be a very familiar story. Now, when you're sitting there going the 51st Psalm, that don't sound real familiar, but I promise you when you get there, it's going to be very familiar to, to you. Now, while you're turning, out of all of the 150 Psalms, I believe this is one of the most heart-wrenching of them all. It's a heart-filled and genuine account of David's guilty heart. And there's no real need to enlarge the circumstances because the heading tells the tragic story. The heading of this 51st Psalm says, This Psalm of David happened when Nathan the prophet went to him after his affair with Bathsheba. It was an abuse of his kingly power passions were given into. I don't think you can find a darker guilt anywhere in the Bible than this. This, this sorrowful soul, song is, is a mirror of our own heart. It reveals that in each of us there is something that is near hell and something that is near heaven. It, 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 it reveals about us that there is something diabolical and something divine. Now you need to understand that this psalm was written somewhere over 3,000 years ago, but it might as well have been written yesterday for its title proves that it is timeless. David had committed a great sin in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, in his desire to fill his lust of the flesh, he had broken at least five of God's commandments. I want you to look at this man, David, a man that the, very, the Bible very clearly identifies as a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us that in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Look at, at David as he covets another man's wife I want you to look at David lying and deceiving one of his very own most loyal soldier to cover up his own adulterous wrongdoing after he had impregnated this man's wife. I want you to look at David killing an innocent man and stealing his wife 
just to justify his own dirty deeds. But the Bible says, the Bible tells us that this low-down, lying, dirty, wife-stealing, adulterous, man-slaughtering murderer was a man after God's own heart. Now, when you look at this and you take it at face value, this is very difficult for me to understand. I mean, if you were honest with me this evening, you too are probably uh, having trouble understanding it. How could this man do all of these bad things? How could he commit all of these sins and yet the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart? So I think you would agree with me in understanding this. But in spite of that, this 51st Psalm it, it is a very personal prayer of confession. It is a prayer of self-examination. It is a cry of forgiveness. You know, I can really identify with this author of this psalm. Not with what he did, but with, but, but with his own sense of, of a need for forgiveness. Because just like you, just like me, we all try very hard to do our best to, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. But if you're anything like me, you sometimes find yourself falling short of, of God's goodness, of God's mercy. I think the Apostle Paul said it best in Romans 7.21. He said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Can I tell you today that no matter how long you have been saved, evil is always lurking around the corner. Can I tell you today that no matter how saved you think you are, that evil never leaves your side? Can I tell you today that if you're doing God's work, evil is always trying to trip you up? And I promise you, the harder you try to do God's work, the harder the evil is going to be on tripping you up. The Bible says that we are sheep that have all gone astray. You find that in Isaiah 53, 6. The Bible tells us for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. You find that in Romans 3, 23. Yes, we are men and women after God's own hearts but we find ourselves lying sometimes. We are men and women after God's own heart, but we find ourselves hating one another. We are men and women after God's own heart, but we find ourselves stealing from others. We are you know, after God's own heart, and we find ourselves backbiting and cheating one another. We find ourselves committing adultery and fornication, but you know, we find ourselves gossiping and killing one another with our tongues. We find ourselves robbing God in the giving of our tithes and our offerings. Yes, we are men and women after God's own heart, but we find ourselves robbing God of faithful service, of praise, and of worship. Amen. Turn to your 51st chapter of Psalm and let's read. i got to slow down a little bit. I'm getting too wound up. 51st chapter of Psalm. Are you there? Amen. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, 
according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified or be found just when thou speakest and be clear or blameless when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen or brought forth or born in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy desire of truth in the inward parts, that's the innermost being, and in the hidden parts or the heart, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Then look what he says. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, or a steadfast spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with, with thy free spirit, or generous spirit, or a willing spirit. Now, keep your Bibles open to these verses. I want you to look at me at this text today because it is obvious to me that David has been convicted of his sin and his guilt. And it is a dangerous place to be in when we are called Christian and feel no convictions for our sins. Listen to me now. There are two main reasons why we or a person is not going to feel conviction of the Holy Spirit for their personal sins. One is that one is, is the person is not born again. So the Holy Spirit is not indwelling in them. Therefore, uh, we would not feel the conviction of the Spirit of God that He brings when we do something wrong. The other reason is a person may feel may not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit is because they have committed so many sins over and over and over again that their heart has been hardened. You see, David had not fooled anyone, not even himself. He knew he had done wrong in God's eyes and his own eyes. And that's why he tried to cover up everything that he'd done. As a result, his spirit... And his heart was broken to the point of contrition. In the spirit of, of repentance, look what he asked God. He says, create in me a clean heart and, a, and renew a right spirit within my soul. Now, you need to really concentrate on that word right. Right spirit uh, in, in my soul. I'll talk more about that. But... We, we all need to work on having a right spirit within our hearts. That is something that is more powerful than psychological counseling. counseling. We need to come to God in genuine repentance. And now listen to me. You need to hear this. 
come to God in genuine repentance and kind of open ourselves up to Him at the deepest dimensions of our life because that is the key to our spiritual healing. Our psychological and spiritual makeup are similar to a house with many rooms. In other words, God may knock on the door and we may allow God to come into our living room of our soul, but then we're not going to let Him go down into the basement where all the junk is. You know, we might, or we're not going to allow Him to go into the bedroom where we reveal our, our private selves. We don't allow Him to look at the text messages or search the history of our hearts. We don't want Him in there. But what did David write? David wrote, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the inward part you will make me to know wisdom. Modern psychologists call that subconscious mind. There are layers, different layers to the human personality. And what God wants to do, God wants to get down in the inner parts of our being and cleanse us and make us clean, make us pure. God wants to dismantle the strongholds of darkness in our inner being and make us completely His. Why is that so important? So we can be set free. You know, sometimes we think that we're serving God. Down deep, we think, oh yeah, man, I'm giving God everything I got. But, but down in the depths of our being, there is anger and there is self-centeredness and there is resentment and bitterness and confusion and bondage. God wants to go down into the basement of our personality and clean it up. Now, why is that so important? Because when we allow the truth to go into our inward parts, that is when we open up our innermost being, ourselves, to God's process of sanctification. Now listen to me. Sanctification is important because when we are sanctified, then we can experience that lasting inner freedom, that lasting inner peace. When we allow the truth to come in, then we discover the kind of joy that David talked about when he said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. If you are not having joy and gladness in your life, there's a reason for it, and it is down there in the basement where God is trying to get and run his vacuum cleaner and flat clean it out. So as we move through this text, again, I have to point out, when we consider this song, it can be, at first glance, appear to be a very confusing prayer. Because when we look at David, do we not see that he had, he, he had received a divine anointing from God? God had anointed him to be the next king. But yet, 
David was a man after God's own heart, but yet here he is crying for a new heart. Well, did he not already have the heart of God? Now I want you to ponder on that. Because a regenerated heart is the possession of all, in, in, all believers. In other words, it, it implies the removal of all past penalty and guilt of sin. A clean heart is one we all need to pray for. Here's how Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at this whole situation of David, we're, we're saddened. You have to understand, David had been a Christian for 50 years. And, and, and is it not tragic that, that, that his life and his royalty are marred by one sin? Now, I want you to think about this. By one sin. You know, we're real quick to do the same thing. You know, we're real quick to put one another down when we fall into sin. We are quick to question someone else's uh, Christianity or question their salvation when they royally mess up. But let me tell you something. We must remember every one of us sitting here today has a story. It may be something that you have gone through in the past. It may be something that you're dealing with right now, but remember that behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum. Everyone has his or her own battles, inner battles. Everyone has his or her own inner issues. In other words, we've got some junk in the trunk. We've got some skeletons in the closet. Every one of us do, and we have to deal with it, and that's what God wants to do. And He is asking us when we're so quick to put somebody down to withhold judgment and, and instead offer the same consideration that we would want if we were in that person's shoes. Somebody should say amen. Thank you. Here's what Matthew said about it. In Matthew 7, 1, he said, Judge not that ye be not judged. How much plainer can it get than that? Our prayer needs to be, may God deliver us from the peril of indulgence in the sin that so easily trouble us. You know, many Bible saints are stained, have stained their character by one particular sin. You know, Noah self-indulged and got drunk. Abraham deceived Abimelech. You remember Moses? He lost his temper. You remember that? Do you remember he lost his temper and he took that stick and he walked that rock more than he was told to? And it cost him the promised land, didn't it? God showed it to him, but he never got to go in. The children of Israel, the first generation, they got right there. And they were disobedient, and God sent them back into the wilderness. David gave in to lust. Peter cussed 
and lie and deny. Clean hands are the result of a clean heart. The clean heart is a holy creation. The issues of life spring from the heart. It is essential for our hearts to be purified and then kept pure. You see, unless the fountain is clean, the water will not be wholesome. So what exactly does it mean when we're talking about a clean heart? What, what is David getting at when he says, give me a clean heart? It's not that we are absolutely perfect, but that the liability of sin is always present in the best of us. I don't care how hard we try, but that tendency to sin can be counteracted by the Holy Spirit whose mission is to produce divine holiness in our lives. We must understand at this point that there is a distinction between being blameless and being faultless. Now listen to me. Often we are blameless, but never are we faultless. You see, we make many mistakes. But we're blameless in them because of partial life. We do not know them to be mistakes, but are blameless in them. Faultless would mean that we are not capable of making mistakes whatsoever. So in the Old Testament, believe it or not, they, they even had a sacrifice for the sins of ignorance. Our old nature is the seat of our sin and subject to the attractions of the flesh. Only our Lord Jesus Christ was the one who was able to live on this earth, earth blameless and sinless and thoughtless. So our obligation then is to live in harmony with the Holy Spirit who is able to make us sensitive to what is able. In other words, we have an obligation as children of God to keep our hearts clean. And we like to wrap this up with the idea of the sins of commission and sins of omission. Now let me define them. The sins of commission are sins that we commit by doing something we shouldn't do. It's the type of sin that we are most familiar with. In other words, it's difficult to commit a sin of commission and get away with it. But it's quite easy to commit a sin of omission and, 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 and you know, people will not, will not see. So, you know, when we commit a sin of commission, it is something someone did that they shouldn't have done. They knew it and those viewing it or hurt by it know it as well. That's exactly what David said was. They were sins of commission. In other words, he committed them, but he didn't get away with them. Sins of omission are sins we commit by not doing something we should do. This is a sin that's easy to hide from others. You know, it's difficult to commit the sin of commission and get away with it. But the sin of omission is quite easy to get away with, with you know, because nobody knows about it. And I think that is the type of sin that is perhaps most dangerous for us in our Christian walk. But when we have a clean heart, then we are conscious that there is nothing 
that is between us and you know ourselves and God to hinder our relationship, to hinder communion with God. So the inner condition is maintained by the Holy Spirit because He brings to mind those things that are hidden and we confess and repent of our sins and that kind of cleaning requires faith on our part. So a clean heart and a right spirit are kind of two necessities. Listen to me now. It's possible to seek a clean heart but yet maintain a wrong spirit in life. David's heart was created by God, but he had to cultivate it by keeping it holy before God in reverence to God. God gives the seed, but then the gardener has to cultivate it. This is, this is why Worship is so important. This is why gathering with the saints is so important. This is why prayer and the study of the Word is important. It cultivates what the Holy Spirit plants in us, places in us. So being right with God means being right with those around us. And this is what David got wanted God to do. That right spirit adjusted David's relationship with Bathsheba and others he had wronged. You see, a clean heart is the root, the principle, and the fountain of our life that is pleasing in the sight of God. If you want to know the type of relationship a person has with God, consider the relationship they have with the people that are around them. It speaks volume. A clean heart is powerless if it lacks the right spirit. We often have a wrong spirit toward God and how He provides. We're also guilty of a jealous, unforgiving, critical, thoughtless, hard spirit toward those that are around us. Now here's where I want to clarify that word right. You remember a while ago, I pointed it out to have that right spirit. That word right does not mean the contradiction to wrong. It implies upright, honest, transparent in every detail of our Christian life. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had been guilty of deception. As children and soldiers of Christ, there are no easy parade days for us either, folks. When we're sinning and think we are committing those sins and getting away with it, you may not think anybody else sees, but God knows. God sees, and He knows what's going on. So we need to be ready. We need to be firm. We need to be upright. We need to be ready and alert, waiting for that next command of obedience to God. When Christians have to be begged to serve God and to give of their substance, there is a lack 
in spirit. There is not a right spirit. There is a wrong spirit. And that lacks the liberty of a child of God. David's spirit had to be broken before God before he could fix it. God had to break it before he could spirit, but renew that spirit. You see, his treatment of Uriah and his family was evil. It was beyond evil. My question to you today is this. Have you humbled yourself before God to seek out those hidden areas that need some light shed upon them? In other words, have you opened up your innermost being and said, God, come on in with that broom and mop and dustpan and vacuum cleaner and clean this mess up because I can. Folks, this song is about forgiveness. This psalm is no, not so much about human nature. It's about God's nature. Human nature is to sin. God's nature is to forgive. Sin is a powerful reality in life and in the lives of individuals. But the truth of this passage and the biblical witness is that the grace of God is even more powerful. Grace, grace, God's grace. We sing it all the time. We would be completely lost in spiritual darkness if the grace of God was not given to us. You see, by the grace of God, disciples that are disobedient can be turned around and become obedient disciples. When our heart is clean, those that are burdened, those that are heavy laden can be set free from whatever is troubling them. When our hearts are clean, the wayward wanderer can be brought home. The lost can be found. The hopeless can be filled with hope. We are able to focus on the things of God instead of the things of this world. We are able to walk by faith and not by sight. We are able to, to be in the world or of the world, but not in the world. You see, when we have a clean heart, just like David, he said, God, I need you to come in here and clean this place up. Give me a, a, a clean heart. Give me a new spirit. Then, when we do that and allow God to clean all the junk out, and we've all got junk, then, then we can be men and women after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so grateful for this church that we have. For this place that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've seen in this sermon today how important the gathering of the saints are. Father, to support one another 
to encourage one another, to give strength to one another, to hear your word proclaimed, Father. We thank you for this church and this church family. Father, we just pray that you'll guide us and direct us in this week ahead, that you'll forgive us, Father, that your mercy and your grace will be evidenced in our lives. Father, we just ask you to go with us as we leave this place, that you'll bring us back at the next appointed time, that you'll protect us each and every day. Oh, Father, just help us. Guide us and direct us. Show us the path that we need to take. Father, again, all of our prayer requests, we lift them up to you, all the folks on our prayer list. The need for rain, Father. The situation is desperate. And we just ask that you'll bless us with rain in your time, Father. Father, we just love you. And we thank you for all the blessings. In your son's name we pray. Amen. See y'all here today. If you have your Bible, then I hope you do. We're just going to read one little short verse in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter. We're going to read one verse here in a few minutes. And this might seem kind of like a strange sermon to you today. But uh, when I was a kid growing up, late 1960s and through the 70s, it seemed like most of the popular TV shows and movies involved aliens and UFOs. And, you know, I grew up watching Star Trek. I mean, every evening when we got in from school, we had to watch Star Trek. And it was as if most shows and that, that were on TV from time to time had an episode about aliens coming to Earth. And, of course, one of the most popular TV shows of the 1970s was a sitcom, and I never missed it, Mork and Mindy. Uh, I, I had to watch Mork and Mindy. I, I loved Mork and Mindy. And you remember Robin Williams played the... Uh, the alien who came to Earth in a giant egg from the planet Ork, wherever that was, and he lived with Mindy McConnell, who was played by Pam Dauber. And of course, then there was uh, Project Blue Book, which was supposed to be true stories about UFOs that uh, were from the files of the United States Air Force. And then let's not forget the big movies. You remember Star Wars came out in uh, 1977, and it, it grossed $1.6 million on the opening weekend, and total domestic showing, it took in 300, over $307 million. Well, people were fascinated with the idea of aliens existing in our universe and paying visits to Earth you know, and, and as a kid, I can remember when when my brothers uh, brothers would come down, my uncles and their kids, uh, we we cousins, we would spend hours laying outside in the back of pickups, looking at up at the stars in the sky, and, and we were looking for UFOs. And of course, every one of us had a friend of a friend who had a UFO story. 
They, they had just seen the UFO beyond the shadow of a doubt. But, uh, you know, and, and the thing was, the cover of nearly every tabloid had, uh, uh, during that time period, had a cover story about a UFO sighting somewhere in America. So, I guess I'm saying all that to say this. During that decade, our country was caught up in a UFO craze. Uh, everyone was looking for UFOs, everyone was looking for extraterrestrials, and those stories dotted our newspapers, our nightly news, and the question on everybody's lips was, are we alone? Or is there somebody else out there? Well, I believe it was in the year 1982. Believe it or not, 1982, I remember it well. I graduated from high school. I was 18 years old. And probably one of the most famous extraterrestrial movies ever come out, E.T. How many of y'all remember E.T.? Oh, boy. It was, it was a good one. And, and uh, it, it was American science fiction, you know. It, it was a film that was produced and directed by Steven Spielberg. And that movie was released on June 11th in 1982 by Universal Pictures. And of course, it was an immediate blockbuster. Get this, opening weekend, it made over 11 million, nearly $12 million on the first weekend. As a whole, domestic gross, it grossed $435 million. And, and it surpassed Star Wars to become the highest grossing film of all time. And believe it or not, it held that record for 11 years. 11 years. So the 1970s, 1980s was a very interesting time indeed. And, and society, as a society, we were caught up in the idea of aliens from another planet. Uh, I remember watching also, how many of y'all remember the show from the, the uh, 1963 through 66, My Favorite Martians? You know, and, and I remember watching my favorite Martians. And, you know, and, and as I said earlier, who could forget those Star Trek years with Captain Kirk and the USS Starship Enterprise? And, you know, he spent his whole year, all of those years, his whole career fighting aliens. Well, sometimes uh, he wasn't fighting them, and I better leave that right there and not say any more. But... I've said all that. Now, I want to ask you a question. I'll finally get to a point here in a minute. Has any of y'all ever been out of the United States to a different country? Ah, I, I can say I've done that, barely. Maybe when I was six, somewhere I was little, we went on this jaunt out in West Texas, and we wound up crossing the border in Del Rio. And we went into Old Mexico. And I recall that to some extent I was somewhat uncomfortable because we were around those people in Mexico. And the reason I wasn't comfortable was I couldn't talk to them and they couldn't talk to me. You know, now I could go down there and I could just and just be fine. But at that time, I couldn't speak Spanish. So, you know, it made me kind of feel like an alien. 
And oftentimes I felt uncomfortable because when you get to a place like that and you can't understand the language and they can't understand what you're communicating, it, it makes us uncomfortable, you know. It, it, and and you know, I, I thought about uh, the guys that went to Vietnam and how difficult it would have been to try to learn or communicate with the Vietnamese or however you say that properly. But, you know, throughout all of our travels, and, and, and I haven't been out of the United States, but I've traveled uh, quite a bit in the United States. And through all of that traveling, you know, of course now we can jump on airplanes and just travel from country to country pretty quickly. But there's nothing like, and I remember this when I traveled, returning home. I, I enjoyed getting home from a trip. Having a place where we always belong is a great blessing indeed. And, and it remains true whether we live in a castle or if we live in a humble house. John Howard Payne captured the uh, love people have for their homes in the song called Home Sweet Home. And how many of us, be it ever so humble, how many of us remember Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz and those ruby red slippers and clicking those slippers together and saying there's no place like home. There's no place like home. All right, I want you to read with me today in Ephesians, the 12th chapter, I mean second chapter, I'm sorry. Ephesians, the second chapter, we're going to read verse 12. Ephesians 2, verse 12. Y'all there? Amen? Amen? Let me say this too. It, it, this is going to be one of those sermons you might want to jot down some scripture because we will be looking at quite a few of them. Ephesians 2, verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ being what? Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Let me visit with you today about aliens from another world. Now, I'm not going to be saying that y'all are aliens from another world, but believe it or not, you are. And I'm going to show you here in this sermon today. Some of our experiences, and if you have traveled, like we talked about earlier, to a different country, you can relate to some of the key words in this, this uh, verse that we read in our text today. That word alien or, or the word strangers, uh, sojourners or even foreigners. It describes those that come from another country but now live in this country. We would call them resident aliens uh, is what we would call them. Here's what Peter is talking about. Peter is saying that Christians are strangers residing on earth. Well, why do you say that? Why are we aliens here? Because this is not our home. Heaven is our home. He is suggesting to us as believers, as followers of Christ, that this world should be foreign to us. You'll never know what it is like. And, 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 and you know, 
what little I was in Mexico, I, you really don't uh, get a full grasp of it. But you really don't know what it's like until you visit a foreign country and you see people who don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't think like you or live like you. You know, they have a set of values and probably we may not share those values. They speak a language that we can't understand. They eat some food that probably would seem somewhat strange to us. You pick up the newspaper, you can't read it. You turn on the radio and it doesn't make any sense. You're standing on the sidewalk, there's people all around but you can't talk to anybody because nobody can speak your language and you can't speak theirs. So we, we have this wanting to go home. You know, it, it's good to go visit, but we want to go home. Given the longing, we all have this place we want to call home where, you know, we're, we're comfortable. And, and that's one of the worst fates, I think, that can, can fall upon us as human beings, humanly speaking, is homelessness. But believe it or not, that is the plight of countless people uh, in this world, countless refugees all around the world who, because of war or because of some other reason, have no place to come home. Or they have a place they call home, but they can't go back there for whatever reason to their homelands. You know, so here's the point. Here's where we start needing to grab hold of things. Those people, per se, are homeless because they can't go back where they came from. Well, if, if, you know, people do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they suffer this same condition, spiritually speaking, because they too are spiritually homeless. Without a, a, a personal faith in his person, in his work, we have no home in the one kingdom that will last forever, and that is the kingdom of God. You're not a part of it. So Peter wrote to these Christians that were scattered throughout what would be now the nation of Turkey and told them they were aliens. Now, let's define that Greek word, that Greek Bible word alien. It means one who comes from a foreign country into a city or a land to reside there by the side of the natives, hence strangers, so journeying in a strange place, a foreigner. Now, if, if we put that on a day-by-day -day term, put a title on it, the contemporary term we would use now would be illegal aliens. That is people that come to this country, but they're not citizens because, you know, they're here where they're currently living. They're not citizens. Peter said that Christians are to view themselves that same way. In this world, as Christians, we are strangers living in a foreign land. Now, I want you to understand this. As Christians living today, we view ourselves as aliens. And, and, and not, you know, we, we can't make ourselves too comfortable here. Why? Because this is not our home. This is not our home. If you are not seeking your heavenly home, longing for your heavenly home, wanting to be in heaven, there's something wrong with you. If you think this is all there is, whoo, have I got something to tell you. Let me tell you, this is what the Bible says. 
The Apostle Paul wrote, this is Philippians 3.20. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is heaven. Now, you know, Paul, when he was traveling around, being an apostle, doing his ministry, he wrote the Roman citizens, and, and he took advantage uh, of, of his citizenship there in Rome. And he did that, modeling that for uh, the Christians who follow after him, that they need not reject the benefits, the responsibility of citizenship in the land which they live on earth. But rather, we should consider our ultimate home is the one that we will dwell in forever. That's what we need to be thinking about. Not the one we reside in temporarily here on earth. John, in the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, verse 16, he said, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So what is Peter saying in this verse, in Ephesians, that we read? He's saying that there has been a change in our lives. You have transferred your allegiance from the world to Jesus. Now, you're saying, well, I didn't wait or I didn't move anywhere. No, you didn't move physically, but you moved spiritually. Salvation has now made you a stranger in this world. Why? Because now heaven is your home. So that makes you what? You're an alien here. You're a foreigner here. A Christian businessman explained it this way, what this meant. He says a lot of people cheat, and I won't do it. They want something extra that I can't give them. Sure, I lose business, but that's the way it is. Get me now. It's not true. In the world, everyone cheats. But in the world we live in, people do cheat. It's not true that the world in this world, everyone lies. But in the world we live in, there are people that lie. I'm not saying that in the world, everyone worships money. But in the world we live in, there are people that worship money. Nor am I saying that in the world we live in, everyone is seeking sexual gratification but in the world we live, some people are. That's just the world we live in, and we live here as resident aliens. We must understand, we Christians are chosen. Get with me here. Belonging to God, and, and we are to declare His praises. Look in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 9. 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 9. Show you this right quick. First Peter, the second chapter, verse nine. Amen. First Peter, second chapter, verse nine says, "But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation." A peculiar people. What do you think that word peculiar means? That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What song did we sing a while ago? Praise him, praise him, 
tell of his excellent greatness. Now, it is essential that we as strangers, as aliens in this land, spend time in the Word, so not just so we can learn how to behave in Christian fashion, but that we will know how to battle against the schemes of Satan. Knowledge alone is not enough. We are called to do more than just know. We are called to do more than just believe. The Bible tells us that Christians are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Just like Israel, when they were in Babylonian exile, we need to make sure that we don't forget where our real home is. We must not compromise our faith. We must not adopt the ungodly practices of the people in whose land we temporarily live, no matter what it costs us or how unpopular it may make us. Remember, I don't care. You, you know, if I ask you, how long do you want to live? You might have said, well, I'd like to live to the ripe old age of 100. Well, that's all fine. But you remember that it won't last long. We're only here for a brief time. James 4.14 says it this way. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So we must live like those whose home is in heaven, not like those who find their ultimate treasure here on this earth. It's the old song. And I, I, I happen to look it up here in, in this uh, Heavenly Highways hymn book. It's on page uh, 63. This world is not my home. And it starts off, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world Anymore. I ought to just sing that to y'all right quick. No, I won't do that. I, I, I won't do you that away. But you see, if you are a Christian, you're not a permanent resident here. This is just someplace you are for a little while. Your ultimate home is heaven. You are an alien. You know, we live in a culture today that is significantly different than it was 200 years ago. Well, we could even say it is a lot different than it was 50 years ago. Matter of fact, in this season that we're living in right now with all this COVID and pandemic, our culture is still changing. It looks different on a daily basis. But my question to you, as a disciple of Christ, is the church different? Are we, listen to me now, are we as believers trying to fit in with a culture that is diametrically opposed to what we are supposed to be? Believers in Christ are aliens in this world. It's difficult to fit in a world that by large is out of touch with God. We have different values. We have different priorities in this world. If you're sitting there saying, well, I really don't, preacher. All right. Now I'm going to have to get on to you. 
You know, that's the reason why we struggle the way we do. If we're Christians, if we're truly followers of Christ, believers, we should be struggling because we should not be fitting in with the world. That's the reason why we don't have a lot of friends. That's the reason why we really don't love this world. We're just passing through. We're, we're aliens in a strange land. And as aliens in a strange land, <clears throat> we should feel somewhat awkward. We should feel somewhat out of touch with our surroundings. We are angels, aliens, and we are living like angels, and it is utterly necessary. I want to show you, so well, I'm not going to show it. I forgot to look it up. But there is a tragedy when an alien, when a Christian, falls in love with the world. Here's how it's said, what I need to tell you. you, if you maybe you're good enough biblically, you can go and find it right quick. I wish I'd have looked it up. But in the book of Colossians, as well as in the book of Philemon, Paul called Demas his fellow worker along with Luke and Mark. They were all fellow workers together. But then, if you look at his last letter in 2 Timothy, he wrote these words. He said, Demas, having, lo having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In other words, it is a great tragedy when a professing believer throws away his faith, throws away his hope in a future world, renounces his citizenship there, and lives in this present world. I want you to understand, folks, beyond the shadow of a doubt, we as professing Christians, aliens, if we're absorbed into a world, we give up on walking by the constitutions of the kingdom. We give up on loving the king. We give up pursuing our cravings for the kingdom. Then we have no warrant in thinking that we will ever be in the kingdom of heaven. 1 John 2.19 says it this way. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Living as aliens in this world is the pathway to heaven. If you choose to be at home in this world, you love the things of this world, you will perish with the world. 1 John 2, 17, John said it this way, The world is passing away and its desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Hear me clearly what I'm about to say next. Listen to me now. We're not perfect, folks. As believers of followers of Christ, we are not perfect. And the stress of living in this world can cause us to say things then do things that we regret. You know, we go through some things that can hurt or even destroy our precious relationships that we need so badly as brothers and sisters in Christ. These things need to be covered and forgiven if, if it is going to be livable for us together as brothers and sisters in Christ because this world is already hostile. 
I'm trying to think of when we were in Canyon. Do you remember what that guy's shirt said? Oh, yeah. Thank you. We, when we took McKenzie to Canyon, we, we, we went to eat, and somebody had to have ice cream. And so we were walking from the restaurant where we were down to this soda shop or whatever. RL, you'd have felt right at all there. It had all the old, old stuff hanging everywhere. You'd love it. But anyway, as we was walking back, there's another restaurant, and some of them were eating out on the sidewalk. And I'm just walking along, minding my own business, and I look at this guy sitting there, and he's got a T-shirt. And boy, I'm probably going to get in trouble, because I'm going to get a little political here. But it said, Trump is my president, Christ is my Savior, or Jesus Christ is my Jesus Savior. Christ. And I looked at that, and I saw that, just being the old gullible country boy I am, I just walked by him and I pointed at him and I said, sure, like that t-shirt. And he said, hey, we got to stick together. What am I telling you here? As brothers and sisters, we have to stick together. We can't be damaging the relationship that we as aliens have. Because we, as Christians, it's us against the world. And that's the reason why I'm saying we're aliens. Let me show you something that the Bible says. Let me get back up here so I can get my notes right. In uh, 1 Peter 4 8, 1 Peter 4 8, it says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity, which is love, covereth the multitudes of sin. Now, I want you to understand that this world is hostile to Christians. And, and I know what you're probably sitting there thinking. You're probably sitting there thinking, Now, preacher, it's true that we love our enemies, yes. And it's true that we love all people of the world. That's a fact. It's biblical. It's true that we are to love in a special way all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But, but there is a special love we ought to have for one another as kingdom citizens. We should be closely knit together as pilgrims in a foreign land. That is why it is so important that we as aliens stay connected. Stay connected with one another. Stay connected as the body of Christ as a whole. Help God's people. Help God's work by supporting them with your offerings, with your prayers, with your thoughts. Because it is of vital importance. This is why we're called aliens in a strange land, folks. God freely determined, get this now, God freely determined to offer salvation to the ungodly. He determined to offer His Son for the sins of the world. And He freely determined that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. But it also means that God knew you, God knew me before we were born and He loved us. Listen to me. He chose me for himself. 
He determined to save me, and He did it. And if you are saved, He determined to save you, and He did it. The old gospel chorus, and I believe we probably all know it, says, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Then what does it say? Because He first loved me. Do you get that? Do you get that? Because He first loved me. That's theology. And Peter, if he was here right now, he would say amen, just like some of y'all did. Because that he first loved me part is a great truth of foreknowledge. While we were still sinners, he loved us. He chose us. He sent his son that we might be saved. Yes, I am an alien in a foreign land. And so are you. If you are a believer in Christ. So let me try to close this today. This evening. There's four important truths. That I want to point out. About our relationship to God. And our relationship to the world. Listen to me. Here's the first. What God says about us. Is more important than what the world says. What God says is more important than what the world says. Secondly, our salvation rests on God's choice. Y'all remember I preached that to you just a few weeks ago. We did not choose Him. He chose us. Thirdly, we are not just accepted by God. We are chosen by God. And fourthly, our condition in this world is somewhat tenuous. But our position with God could not be better. So, if you're living in this world, and you're doing business, and you choose not to cheat, or to lie, or double cross, you're an alien from another world. If you have determined that you're going to remain faithful to your wife, you're from another world. If you are a teenager or a college-age student and you've decided to live for Jesus in the halls of your high school or of your college, you're an alien from another world. If you have a job, and I don't care if it's big or small, full or part-time, white-collar, blue-collar, and you have decided to work unto the Lord instead of just trying to please men, you are from another world. If you're depressed and discouraged and you haven't turned to alcohol or drugs, you're from another world. If you work somewhere where there's coarse language and profanity and loose talk, and you've made your mind up you're not going to be a part of that, you're from another world. If you're in a place in your life where you're trying to get ahead and you have to compromise some of your Christian values and you decide not to do it, you are an alien 
from another world. Let me tell you something. It's not about isolation from the world. It's not a question of isolation from the world. Why? Because that would be fruitless and that would be impossible. It is a question of being in the world and not of the world. It's not easy. I'm not telling you it is. It's not an easy walk. It's not an easy way of life. But I'm glad. And I hope you're glad that you're an alien from another world. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word being proclaimed today. Father, we thank you and praise you and give you all the glory and honor that you thought enough of us, that you chose us, that you picked us to save us by sacrificing your son on the cross so we could have forgiveness of sin, so we could have eternal life. Lord, just bless us and watch over us. Care for us and guide us and direct us as we leave this place, Father. We continue to pray for your protection over us in this very challenging time. Father, we just ask that you forgive us where we fail you, Father. we got folks not with us today. We pray they're all right. We've got a lot of folks on our prayer list, folks having heart issues, cancer issues, Father, suffering from COVID and back issues. There's just a whole lot of people with a whole lot of issues, Father. They have needs there, and we pray that those needs are met. Father, we just pray that here in a couple of days, we've got a good chance of rain, that that chance of rain can come to be, Father, and replenish this old earth. It's so hot and dry. So, Father, we ask that that, that will be a thing that, that will happen, and we praise you for it ahead of time. Father, we just ask that you go with us, that you keep us safe. In your son's name we pray. Amen.